of waiting, preparation, and joyful expectation for Jesus' birth. The Advent is not just about the past. It's also about the future, the second coming of our Savior, the day when hope, love, joy, and peace will culminate into Christ's glorious return. Until then, morning, church. Well, like uh, Nate said, you know, this uh, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. All five services, we're going to get going. I didn't mention it last week. I want to say this week, though, weather permitting, we're going to have all kinds of stuff around the church for people to really feel all that is the warmth of Illuminate Community Church. So as I said again last week, take that little flyer, pray over it. You probably have someone in your life that needs to get that into their hands. My promise to you is that they are going to hear very clearly the message of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, which is Jesus came to redeem mankind, right? So those five services, please, this week, I'm asking the entire church family, please be in prayer for those. God just tends to do something unique in the hearts of people this time of year. They seem to be especially receptive to the things of God, and so we wanna take advantage of that for the kingdom. So. We are in the final week of Advent, and our theme this morning is peace. Now, here's the thing about, about peace. You, uh, you probably aren't fluent in Hebrew, but you're probably able to speak a Hebrew word or have said it quite frequently in your life. What word am I talking about? Shalom. Shalom. Everybody knows what the word shalom means, peace. The peace symbol is one of the more recognized the world over. We actually give a major award internationally known for those who are promoters of peace called the Nobel Peace Prize. In light of all those things, you would think that we're doing well. There's plenty of peace on earth. The last 100 years have seen more bloodshed than all previous centuries combined. Currently, there are two major world wars with no quick end inside. Turns out uh, peace is very, very elusive. And then comes the Christmas season, and we read these texts that tend to be very, very Familiar. Last week, we heard the angel make their first announcement to the shepherds, and essentially they said, joy has entered the world. And it was an interesting word for joy. It was the precedent, mega joy. That's the Greek word, mega joy. In other words, <laughs> unlike any other joy you've ever experienced, something new is happening, and it's coming to you in the most unusual way, in the form of a child. That was the first part of the announcement. The second part of the announcement had the angel saying, Peace, peace on earth. But again, perhaps not in the way you've traditionally understood what this phrase means. So let's go back and read it in its context. Luke chapter two, verse 14. The angel proclaims glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he, that refers to God, is pleased. So this raises a question. How does one become pleasing to 
God. Isn't that the question? How does one become pleasing to God? Now, most people on the planet, at least those who say they believe in God, they would answer in, in some form, they would answer in this way. Well, the way one becomes pleasing to God is by being a, what kind of person? Good. Just be a good person. You know, and you'll make God smile. That's all. Just be good. Just be decent. It's kind of that idea that in the end, if you're good outweighs your bad, then God will throw open the gates of heaven to you. Here's the problem with that. That is absolutely nowhere in the Bible. And you don't want it to be. Question for you. If it's a matter of being good, how good do you have to be? <laughs> That's mental torture, trying to figure that one out. You're like, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? That's why biblical Christianity sets itself apart. There's nothing like it. In all other religions or worldviews, you have man attempting to earn his way to God. And that's the question. How do you know that you've been good enough? And human nature is stuff. You know, we, we, we just, there's this thing called the self-serving bias. Very true. We tend to think better of ourselves than we really are. And so it's like, let me ask you, who's rich? Well, not me. Well, it's the person that has a little bit more than I do. We always look at somebody else. and I'm not the rich one. It's that guy that owns everything. He's the rich one. Well, it's kind of like that with, with our good works. How good do you have to be? Well, at least I'm better than that guy. At least I go to church. That has to make God smile. And everybody looks down on somebody else. And, and so uh, when this announcement is made that peace has come into the, the world and this peace is actually the means by which God is pleased. This is, this, is, ooh, this is revolutionary. This messes with your thinking. Most people would say, well, peace with God is I just have to do right by him. Well, doing right by God is accepting this invitation of peace that comes in the form of a child. That is how you are pleasing to God. It's not a matter of what you do. It's what you believe, what you trust in. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul declaring this to Christians living in Rome. First century AD, Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's trust, we have peace with God through, here's the conduit, our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you can have peace with God is by receiving the gift of this child. There is no, no other way. Uh, he's the only one that can put you on good terms with God. That word justified, essentially, it is, it is literally a declaration. It's someone declaring, you're good. Now you're good. Now you're good. That's the declaration that's made. Because you've received Jesus, because you've placed your faith in him, for what? Well, as your Lord, that is kurios, the Greek word master, Jesus Christ, Christos, Messiah, the one who saves you essentially from yourself, now you're on good terms with God. Uh, but there's more, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in our modern time, this doesn't land well with a lot of people because we're so high on self-esteem that we never really wanna see ourselves as we really are. And so the Bible just shoots it straight in the best possible way. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, in its clarity, it's actually a form of kindness. Clarity is kindness. And so when this clarifying truth comes into your life, you, you, you have to deal with it. So first, let's understand if it's really true. Sinners, what does that mean? Well, God has these standards. 
codified, let's say, in the Ten Commandments, for example, okay? So um, you might be familiar at least a few of them. Have you ever broken just one? Like before noon? Just one. So God has this standard. And you're like, well, why does God have that standard? Well, we, uh, that's a whole other sermon that I can preach, okay? The Ten Commandments come into the lives of, of humans, into humanity, number one, because God is good. And he says, listen, because all you humans are trying to figure things out when you live together in this thing called a society, let me give you some help. Let's lay down some simple ground rules because you're gonna be inclined not to participate in these things, not to uphold these things, and it's gonna be very bad for you. So let's lay down some, some ground rules, okay? Number one, hey, don't pursue your neighbor's wife. That's gonna be bad for the community, okay? <laughs> not only is it bad for your relationship, their relationship, people are gonna talk about that. People tend to be gossip. It's gonna destroy the community. Hey, don't lie to each other. Don't manipulate one another because... Trust is one of the pillars of any healthy relationship. So when you do that, you say, man, society isn't gonna go well. So this is God actually saying, listen, you want things to go well? You want a well-ordered, meaningful, purposeful society? Just do this. And we don't. <laughs> we don't even come close. And that's proof that we fall short of these God's good, and they're good standards, they're healthy standards. Additionally, what they also do is they also help us understand who God is because they reflect the nature of God. And, uh, and so the nature of God being very different than, than human nature, again, this emphasis that we fall, we fall short. So it's impossible to earn our way. That, this is why the angels have to proclaim joy comes into the world, but also peace amongst those with whom he, God, is pleased. The way you make peace with God is by receiving Jesus, and uh, there's, there's, this, um, there's this attribute of God that comes into play as well, and that is his justice. That's also what's being brought, brought into the scene because, because God can't just ignore all of the rules that we break, all the rule breaking that we do. This is the reason why society is so jacked up, and, and God doesn't just kind of ignore that and turn a blind eye to it and say, well, that's okay, I'll let you all get away with it. He's also bound by his nature, his justice, and so we fall under that justice. And, and uh, well, Romans 5, chapter 10 says it like this, for if while we were enemies, that's what it means, we were enemies of God, wanting not to promote the things of God, but essentially undoing the things of God by breaking his rules, we were reconciled to God, though, by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Reconciliation, justification, all of that equals peace. Now, this has huge consequences, right? Because this satisfies that, well, the Bible says that God has placed eternity within the hearts of all people. You know what that means? This is why at some point in your life you've thought, what's next? What happens to me when I die? Is there something more? You have this existential crisis. I've said this before. My dog doesn't have this kind of existential crisis. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My dog isn't going, what's gonna happen to me when I die? What about my soul? My dog isn't restless with that. Humans are. Why? Because God has put that within you to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and to say, uh, well, 
today, today, this morning when I woke up, I was one day closer to death than I was yesterday. And when you're young, you don't think about that. As you get older, you sure do. And you blink and time goes by. And you start to question what you built your life on. What happens to me? So when you make peace with God, one of the things the Bible tells us is that those questions are laid to rest because as a consequence, you now have eternal life. That's peace. That's inner peace. And Paul elaborates this. We'll talk more about it in a moment. Uh, There's this other element that comes, though, as a result, and I'll... (laughs) I do think the world needs this perhaps more than at any other time in its history. When you make peace with God, you are then able to make peace with others. Okay, listen. When Christianity started to spread, something fascinated happened. Okay, you can you, you, okay, you just trace the history, human history, okay? Christianity begins to spread, and all of a sudden, the world begins to change in this way. You think the world is divided now? No clue. For example, in the first century AD, you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. Everybody was in one of two categories. You were either Jewish or you were a heathen, pagan, Gentile. They're all the same. Or you were one of the sophisticated Greeks and everybody else in the world, you were barbarians. Or you were one of the polished Romans, world conquerors or you're anybody else. And then the world began to change because all of these associations started to happen. Enemies were becoming friends and the world did not have a word to describe this. And so they had to discover what is bringing people together? What is this? You were in trouble if you traveled too far outside your ancestral home, foreigner. It could be very bad for you. But all of a sudden, this message of Jesus begins to spread. And you know what happens? Jews and Gentiles are eating together. And people are like, pump the brakes. (laughs) What? Jews and Gentiles are eating together. See, they both considered each other dirty and filthy. And now, you know, to eat together was a sign of friendship. And not only are they eating together... But they're looking across the table and they're saying, hey, will you pass the bread, sister? Sister? That's a family term. Hey, brother. Brother, pour me some wine. You don't even have to ask, I got you. And so all of these things that had been elevated to keep people separated, because these men and women had made peace with God and understood who they really were and what God had done for them, they were quick to extend peace to those around them. And so within the Christian community, it became incredibly diverse. In fact, a really interesting scene in the book of Acts. You have a list of names, people that 
are represented, represent different parts of the known world at that time. Certainly they would have different dialects, different skin colors, and they're all coming together. And the city of Antioch was one of the more racially diverse cities in, on the planet. And it, the text says it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. Because people are like, How, what, what is uniting them? You know what Christian means, more literally? Little Christ, little Christ followers. What's bringing everybody together? Oh, they have this common belief in Jesus as the, their Messiah. That's what's bringing them together. And all of a sudden, all of these barriers that people had lifted began to melt. There is nothing like biblical Christianity bringing people together. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. They're lying to you. They don't understand their history. Well, well where does that begin? The angel declared it. It's the best birth announcement, Okay precise in its languaging. What do you want to know about this child? Great joy has entered the world. See, you're going to have a tendency to find joy in your circumstances and events. Wrong. It's in a person. And that person is going to prove his love for you. Greater love has a man, no greater love has a man than this, that one would lay down his life for, for another. The text we read while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's not like humanity was going, we recognize we're a mess down here and we've jacked everything up. God help us. No, nobody was crying out. God sees the plight and says, I gotta do it for you, reaches down. And hopefully that's the, because God took initiative, that's the thing that begins to melt your heart a little bit, turns your heart toward, toward him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God. So there, there, there's so much here. Um, let me give you a, a real life example of this in the time of Paul. One of my favorite letters in the Bible, if you can say that in, in the Bible, is very short, maybe one page, one page. It's titled Philemon. It's the name of a man. And it's the Apostle Paul writing a letter to this individual, brother in Christ. Philemon was, uh, he, he was a man who had a servant and the servant ran away. Uh, and it appears that the servant had stolen from Philemon. And the servant's name is Onesimus. So Onesimus runs away, but in order to survive on the, on the run, he steals from Philemon. And where does Onesimus go? Well, if you're gonna run away, it's like, go, go, go to Rome, man. You can blend in there. Well, within the divine providence of God, Onesimus encounters the apostle Paul, who is in prison. And it appears that Paul leads him to Christ. He becomes a Christian. And then what happens next is remarkable, that you only see this kind of thing in the Christian community. So a runaway servant now becomes a Christian. Philemon has every right to prosecute him and to make him pay in full and to exact his revenge under Roman law. And Paul writes Philemon a letter and he says, Philemon, guess what? Onesimus, I met him and I'm sending him back to you. Now there's a beautiful play on words here. I wish I had time to walk you through the text because Onesimus, the Greek name Onesimus literally means useful. And this is where the play on words comes in because Paul says, Onesimus, he says Philemon, Onesimus, that is to say useful, useful, he was useful to you. I'm sending usefulness back to you. But I know at one time he was not Onesimus. He was not useful to you. But now what you need to understand is he's a brother in Christ. So when I send him back, 
I'm sending to you my own heart. Receive him as you would receive me. And then Paul, he presses in on Philemon. He says, oh, and by the way, Philemon, I'm confident you will. In fact, Philemon, I'm confident you will do more. I know you will. Oh, and then he says one other thing. And Philemon, lest you forget, I was the one that brought the gospel to you too. Because you see, Philemon, you, you and Onesimus, you were both at one time very far from God. And now you've both been brought close to God. So now that you've both been brought close to God, guess what? You're gonna be close with each other. Oh, and, and if he has stolen from you, charge that to my account. But remember, I brought the gospel to you. Yeah, yeah, he's good, you know, he's good. Oh, I'm sure you're gonna do this. Now, what's going on inside Philemon's mind? This is the ultimate test of whether or not he really understands what Jesus has done for him. Oh, mm. it's kind of like this, Ephesians chapter two. Paul is writing to the church in the city of Ephesus that's primarily made up of Gentiles, that is non-Jews. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. All the promises, the covenants, all the things that God promised to Israel, you were apart from that, Gentile. You are strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So when you take God out of the world, what happens? You also remove hope. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you've been brought near. How so? By the blood of Christ. Because Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one, this is Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We've got a lot of hostile walls in our world right now. How do those things come down? Apart from Jesus, you're not gonna have lasting peace on this earth. You, you, you make peace with God first, and then you're motivated to make real peace with those around you. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, it's not about what you do, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. All this hostility that was there, Jesus melts it. He kills what was killing the unity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. No matter who you are, he says, you are far from God. It's, 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 quite, it's quite beautiful. Um, God is now bringing you near. But there's more, there's more. Um, since God has brought you near, why would you withhold peace from others? There's not just this external peace, but there's also this in, internal peace. Uh, shortly before Jesus leaves his disciples, he says this, peace I leave with you, because you're gonna need it. Things are gonna get crazy. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, the peace of Jesus is different than the kind of peace that the world offers you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The context is peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. I, I think the, this lack of inner peace that humans experience today is, has led to so much confusion in our world and so much chaos. So here's the question, how do you get this peace into your life? Now, I'm gonna read you a passage that at first blush, it's gonna be difficult for you to receive, especially if you, if you haven't been part of the Christian community or if you're new to Christianity, so I just wanna forewarn you, okay? And it's gonna seem impossible, but it's not, and I'll show you. 
okay? Paul says this in Philippians chapter four. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Excuse me? Okay, is that even possible? We'll keep going. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you all have requests, okay? Let them be made known to God, but make them with thanksgiving. What does that mean? I'll explain in a second. And so here's what happens, okay? That's the formula. Then what happens is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, human understanding. There have been moments in my life where external events have been so chaotic and so out of control, yet I have had such a peace. That's the kind of peace that transcends human understanding where people look at you and go, how? How do you manage that? I mean, in the face of tremendous loss, personal loss, that peace will guard your hearts and your minds because you're in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then begin to think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So you want peace of God in your life, here's what you do. You make your request known to God, and at the same time, you thank God for whatever outcome he sees best. You catch that? Because God knows outcomes that you don't know that would be in your best interest because when God acts, he's always for you, not against you, and you may not see it at the time. So you make your request known to God, and at the same time you say, God, hey, however you choose to answer this, I'm gonna thank you because I know you are for me, not against me. I know that you have my best interest in mind, and you, are, you know things I don't. You, you can produce outcomes in the midst of horrible things, and if you choose to do that, so be it. The cross is an example. Jesus is crucified, and those who are closest to him are like, okay, now what? This is really bad. <laughs> you know, They're all like huddled together, and they're kind of like, what's gonna happen to us? And they're acting a bit like cowards at this point. And it was the resurrection that emboldened them, by the way. That's why, they're, that's why Christianity is a thing. That's why it's around. You have to ask yourself, what happened? That, that turned this fledgling movement into something that caught fire. Well, the resurrection of Jesus, it's a, the, really the most reasonable explanation. So they think, this is horrible, what's gonna happen? And it's like, God's like, oh, just wait, wait, wait until the third day, everybody. Because I'm gonna take this horrible happening to this innocent individual, and I'm gonna flip the script, and I'm gonna bring salvation to the entire world. World. Now, what if the disciples would have prayed, stop the crucifixion, right? And you know what's interesting? Jesus in the garden, he says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but then he's quick to add, not my will, but your will be done. What's he saying? Your outcomes. Your outcomes, that's the best. So I'm gonna thank you for that. I don't know what, what, what it is, but I gotta believe that you're for me and that you have the supernatural ability to work in extremely difficult circumstances to produce things that would, would be a blessing. Then he goes on to say, if you want peace in your life, then you gotta think the right thoughts. What do you meditate on? You know, it's like, what are you feeding yourself? Honorable, pure, things that are worthy of our attention, worthy of praise, excellent, commendable, um,
Where are they? Where are they? That's how you know you're getting old. When you go to fill out a form online and you have to scroll for your age. <laughs> or you know what really gets you is like the year you're born. <laughs> and it's God's way of saying, eternity is in your heart too. It's difficult to find those things. Where do you find them? That word is truth. It's lovely. It's commendable. It's worthy of praise. Lastly, if you want peace, then love what God loves. I think probably the primary reason why people don't have peace is because they're loving all the wrong things. Success, material objects, attention, fame, Notoriety, pride. Yeah. You pursue those things, you fall in love with them, and then you realize they, they make lousy lovers. <laughs> yeah. You know what's interesting? Paul doesn't say, think about this. Paul doesn't say, you want peace? I have this awesome breathing technique for you. You ready? Count to 10. Everybody good? He doesn't say, hey, let me share this calming Spotify playlist. Uh, I've joked about this before. Uh, the self-help section in the bookstore, it continues to grow. You ever think about that? Like, have we not figured this out by now? So, right, so you understand what's, what's happening is what they're saying, here's the deal. If you want peace, just look within. Look within. You will be the source of your peace. And then you look within and you're like, whoops. Oh, uh, I just realized I'm my own worst enemy. <laughs> I am the source of my anxiety. <laughs> I am the source of my unrest. Okay, that didn't work. <laughs> That's why the angel says, peace has to come to you from the outside but you have to appropriate it. A great mark of maturity is, is the person who initiates peace. There's your holiday reminder. <laughs> great mark of maturity is one who initiates peace. Uh, and, and this is exactly how God is described. Peace that comes at a great cost is often more, is, is certainly more precious and it would cost God the gift of, of his son, the life of his son. Theologian John Stott put it this way, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? Oh, that's so good. God, literally, <laughs> has skin in the game. And this makes all the difference. In 1873, Horatio Spafford sent his wife along with his four daughters off to England for some time away because unexpected work had come up. He was not able to join them on the ship, but he booked passage on a ship that was leaving two days later so he could join them. You might know the story. Somewhere across the Atlantic, 
the ship that his wife and four daughters were on struck another ship and sank. Remarkably, his wife was found alive, clinging to a piece of wreckage. She was rescued, transported to England, where she sent a letter back to her husband with just two words, saved alone. And in that instant, his world changed. And so he had to wait for time to pass to get on the ship that would take him to join his wife. And on board that ship, they happened to pass by the same spot where his four daughters had drowned. And as he did so, he broke out pen and paper and he began to write. And this is what he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and has shed his own blood for my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You know what's interesting about that? Not a word specifically about his daughter, any of his daughters. Oh, but wait, it is about his daughters actually. <laughs> and so what he's doing is he's taking his pain and suffering up into what he knows to be true about God, that God has greater purposes, that God has greater outcomes, that God has skin in the game. So. Horatio involuntarily lost his daughters, but God voluntarily lost a son. And as he's reflecting on who God is, it's like he brings himself to the throne of God and the person of God, and he's ushering himself into the peace of God. And that's why I said earlier, there is nothing like Christianity and what it offers the human soul as represented and made possible in the most unusual way in the form of a baby. So <clears throat> we've got some people that have been transformed by the message of Jesus and you're gonna hear them share their testimony and they're gonna be uh, baptized here. And the reason why we do it this way is because we're firm believers that because God is in the business of changing lives, that story needs to be told. And many of you have done that. And uh, there may be something in somebody's story that resonates with you. And uh, let me encourage you not to ignore that. You know, I say, if you've never been baptized, if you've never shared your testimony publicly, you have some unfinished business with God. And it's your way of not just blessing the church family and community, but it's also your way of honoring God. So before these people come up and share, pray with me. Father, 
the angel's announcement is, is just, it's so perfect. It's just so perfect. It's exactly what we need. We need joy that lasts, and that joy comes in knowing that we are unconditionally loved. We need peace that lasts, and that peace comes in knowing that we are on good terms with the God who created us. Father, I pray for these individuals as they share their stories, Lord. Thankful for them. Pray a special blessing upon them as well. And Lord, as we have received the good news of Jesus' birth, I pray that we would go and tell, that we would tell others, perhaps that is one of the more profound ways it has impacted our lives is that when we are quick to share it and to spread that joy and peace with those around us. As always in all things, Lord, it's for your glory and God's people said, amen.